We've been in a series on the commands of Jesus, and you might not have ever really thought of this as a command, although it is. The sermon is entitled, Forgive. And the context is that of forgiveness. And why does God want us to forgive? Why does Jesus command us to forgive? The same reason he commands us to do anything else is because he knows when we do so, we'll be happy. If we don't do so, we'll be miserable. When he tells us not to do something, he tells us he knows he, if we do that, it'll do us harm. So every, every command he gives us always has our best interest in mind. That's his desire from one who loves us so dearly. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, uh, is that a forgiveness? And Jesus tells a parable as he often does to drive a point home. <clears throat> and here's the setting, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? According to the Jewish law, you should forgive somebody three times. And so Peter here more than doubles it seven times. And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Some translations say 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. As he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. His servant fell down and besought him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here's the hook. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's pretty, pretty harsh what happens here and how Jesus closes this if we really listen and hear what he's saying. Let's bow together. Father, we have received such enormous grace and mercy and forgiveness from your throne. And yet we are so reluctant to offer a morsel of grace and forgiveness to those who have wronged us. That cannot last. So help us open up our hearts both to give and receive freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Under the windshield wiper of his illegally parked car, a driver stuck this hastily written note. It said, I've circled this block for 20 minutes. I'm late for an appointment. 
If I don't park here, I'll lose my job. Forgive us our trespasses. When he returned to his car, he found a note with a parking ticket attached. It said, I've circled this block for 20 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. (laughs) Jesus tells a parable that has so many unbelievable twists and turns in it. I've tried to encapsulate that in my outline. Unbelievable forgiveness, unworthy recipient, inescapable obligation, unexplainable, unavoidable, unexpected. All these things about this surprising parable that Jesus gives. It's an unbelievable, overwhelming, extravagant parable of forgiveness. A king is settling accounts with his servants and he calls them all in. He discovers that one of them owes him 10,000 talents. And since the poor man obviously cannot repay, the king orders him and all his family members and possessions to be sold and applied toward the payment. But the slave falls on his knees and begs for forgiveness and says, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the king did have mercy on him and he forgave him the entire debt. Now that sounds like a good story. But in order to understand this parable fully, you have to understand what 10,000 talents really is. A footnote in my Bible says a talent is more than 15 years wages. One talent, 15 years wages. So you multiply that one talent times 10,000 talents and you get 150,000 years wages this slave is indebted to this king. It'd be like a hundred billion dollar debt to someone that makes minimum wage. It is an unheard of amount of debt. I can't imagine how the king loaned this slave that much money. What kind of responsible creditor would loan that kind of money besides the federal government? But anyway, the servant says that he will pay it back to the last talent. He's, who's he kidding? He's, he's crazy. There's no way he can pay back 10,000 talents when one talent is 15 years. If he lived another 45 years, he could only pay back three talents. He's talking nonsense, but his plea is sincere. And out of pity, the king forgives him the astronomical debt. He doesn't just give him more time, which is what he requests, but he just wipes the whole slate clean. Several things to note here. He offers forgiveness, even though there's no repentance. The slave never does really come to grips with reality and say, I'm sorry, I'll never be able to repay you. He just asks for more time. The king absorbs that whole loss when he forgave that debt. He makes what would be the Guinness Book of World Records sacrifice. And finally, the king in his generosity gives the slave back more than he asked for. He only asked for more time to repay his debt. And the king said, you could never, listen, you could never pay me back no matter how much time I give you. How about I just forgive the whole amount? Can you imagine how that servant, how that slave must have felt when he left the king's presence that day. And of course, as Jesus tells us this parable, who are we in it? We're supposed to see ourselves as the hopeless servant. We have mismanaged our relationship with God, who is our king. We have violated his confidence. We have proven ourselves untrustworthy. The moral, the spiritual debt we owe God reaches to the sky 
And in light of God's expectations, his holiness, his righteousness, we are in a hopeless situation. Even 150,000 years of hard labor on our part could never atone for one of our sins, much less the thousands of sins we commit every week. The slave asked for more time, but we just ask for mercy, trusting God through Jesus Christ. We can do what the slave did not and confess our sin and repent. And when we do that, our king is always willing to forgive. And like the king in Jesus' parable, he takes that sacrifice on himself because Jesus on the cross absorbed the agony we should have suffered for our sins when he died in our place under the torture of the cross. He paid for our sins in full and he will always give us more than we ask because that's just what he does. The story is told about the middle-aged reformer, Martin Luther. The devil came up to Luther one day and opened up a scroll. And on that scroll was a list of all of Martin Luther's sins, all of which he was painfully aware. In anguish, he had to confess them all. And the devil rejoiced to see Luther squirm in misery. But then God came and whispered in Luther's ear, that he should tell the devil to unroll the scroll all the way. At first, the devil refused to do so, but Luther commanded him to do so by the authority of the word of God. And when the scroll was finally opened all the way, on the bottom of the scroll, written in red, were these words. The sins of Martin Luther have been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. The sins paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan fled, Luther rejoiced. And every time you and I go to God in prayer and confess our sins, they are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the best news sinners like you and I could ever have. Of course, such out-of-the-world forgiveness from the throne room of God places us under such an enormous obligation to pass that forgiveness on to all who offend us or mistreat us, Jesus would say, go and do thou likewise. Freely you have received, freely give. God's pardon for the sinner who repents and trusts in Christ is the bedrock foundation of our life with God through Jesus. That forgiveness is what our whole faith is based upon. Those huge skyscrapers, if you've ever been to New York City and seen those skyscrapers and how tall they reach into the sky, rest their weight upon a super hard granite bedrock foundation under Manhattan. Even the Empire State Building, 102 stories tall, has a foundation only 18 feet deep because it is fastened into the bedrock of granite that runs underneath that whole island. And the bedrock of our Christian faith is the mercy that God has given us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And because we have received it, we're under obligation, folks. We are under obligation to show that same mercy toward others who may have wronged us. 
Because this is what happens in the parable. We're surprised at the turn that it takes because this slave who's just been forgiven an astronomical amount goes out and bumps into a fellow slave who owes him a paltry sum, a hundred denarii, which is just a hundred days labor. Denarius is a day's wage. So this other slave owes him a hundred days and he's just been forgiven 150,000 years of wages. The slave's debt was the size of a speck compared to the first slave's debt of a, of a whole count, a continent, which the king forgave. And we are shocked that this slave who's been forgiven extravagantly by his debtor grabs the one who owes him a penance grabs him by the throat and says, you pay me what you owe me. And the slave pleads for mercy. And it's not a coincidence. Look, he uses the exact same words that the first slave used when he went before the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Identical to what the first slave had pled before the king. Instead, the first slave who's been forgiven throws the debtor into prison until he can pay his paltry debt in full. It's ludicrous. The forgiven slave saw no relationship whatsoever, no correlation between his being forgiven and his obligation in turn to forgive. Jesus tells us, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. I was just thinking, you remember the couple from Mumford, Tennessee, that just won the Powerball lottery of 100, how much was it? $1 billion? Can you imagine them going to their next door neighbor who owed them $100 and taking them to small claims court? It's ridiculous. Jesus takes the lesson even further by saying about the hard-hearted slave's punishment. Very end, he says, so my heavenly father will do so to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You would have thought that forgiven slave, 10,000 talents, 150,000 years of wages, like a billion dollars today, would have walked out of that palace without his feet even touching the ground, just floating ecstatic with joy over his, the pardon he had received. He had never gotten anything so magnanimous in his entire life. And instead of gasping under the weight of that burden, he could have never lifted off of himself. He should have been dancing because of the priceless gift which he could have never purchased himself. Instead of spending the rest of his life rotting in debtor's prison, he could now spend the rest of his life enjoying his full and complete pardon. And you would think the first person he bumps into indebted to him would receive some modicum of mercy. But no, he blew it all when he threw that debtor into prison over a measly, unpaid $100 debt. And Jesus wants us to see how often we do the exact same thing. We come out of church Sunday morning, having been forgiven for all of our sins, having prayed and found God's blessed forgiveness and mercy, debt free of all the spiritual and moral debt uh, sins we have, we have made, and then we fail to forgive a wrong, an insult, an offense. 
toward us. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do we really mean that? God, forgive me my trespasses the same way that I forgive others who've trespassed against me. I think if we're honest, we'd rather say, Father, forgive me a lot more than I am willing to forgive others. I heard a professor say at seminary one time, if we really mean forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, then God's not going to be very busy. Because we are so unforgiving. We pray that he'll be as forgiving toward us as we are to others, but that scares me. Because I know how forgiving and sometimes unforgiving I can be. God has given us a king's pardon to remove our indebtedness of sin against him. So we have an obligation to go out and do likewise to anyone who has wronged us or caused offense. How can we not receive so much from God and just bottle it up and not offer it to those who have wronged us? In Charlotte, North Carolina, Tom Bowers finally forgave the man who had stabbed his sister to death 15 years earlier with a hunting knife. For 15 years, Bowers had been in a rage against the murderer, wanting just to get his hands around his neck and strangle him personally. One rainy night on the interstate while he was driving, Tom began thinking about the Sunday school lesson he was going to teach the following Sunday in church on forgiveness. And he became convicted and he shouted out loud finally, Okay, Thomas Vanda, the murderer, I forgive you. And he began praying for him. And he told this to the criminal's parents and eventually he even told it the criminal himself, I forgive you. Because Vanda had previously murdered another person, he'll be spending 300 to 500 years in prison the rest of his life. But Tom Bowers, who forgave him, was freed from his own prison that night because he had learned how to forgive. The motivation to be forgiving comes from the Son of God dying like a criminal on a Roman cross to remove the sins of all humanity for all time. Because when, he's, when he was hanging there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That wasn't just applying to the Roman soldiers who hung him there. But he offered forgiveness to us all who sin against a holy and righteous God who had been forgiven an astronomical, extravagant amount we could never repay and are under obligation to go out and forgive others. Because it's not... If, we for, if, if God forgives us one, we forgive somebody else one. If we forgive somebody else two, God forgives us two. That's not how it operates. God doesn't work tit for tat. But he does offer forgiveness to a heart that's big enough to receive it. And when we are unforgiving, our hearts get smaller and smaller. And we grow cold and bitter and angry. 
And a heart like that is simply unable to receive forgiveness from God. Well, when the other slaves saw what this unforgiving slave had done, they went and told the king. We call them whistleblowers today. They saw injustice, outrageous injustice, and they went and reported it. They felt so deeply that this should not go unmentioned. And so they go out on a limb and tell the king what this slave had done that had just been forgiven 150,000 talents and yet threw a, a neighbor in jail for 100 denarii. And the king acts swiftly, consigned him in torture, in jail, until he could pay the debt in full, which he could never do. And the whole basis for the king's condemnation was this slave, having received his forgiveness, could not even muster the tiniest little morsel of mercy for one who had owed him so very little. He should have been the happiest person on the face of the earth with that mountain of debt removed from his back. But he becomes the most miserable person in the world because he couldn't even pass on the slightest measure of forgiveness that he had just received in such large measure. To be forgiven by God obligates us to pass it on to others. Not to pass it on results in unexpected consequences because you have short-circuited the forgiveness pipeline. There's a channel that runs through us, through our hearts, and when we receive forgiveness from God, it makes our hearts larger and it overflows into forgiveness toward those around us. I love studying science, and in astronomy, there's something called a black hole in space. Its matter is so dense, its gravitational pull is so strong that it sucks into its vortex Everything around it, even light, it's a huge vacuum cleaner that, that even light cannot escape and things that go in disappear forever. And I think an unforgiving heart is like a black hole in the middle of our chest. It sucks up happiness and reconciliation and peace and forgiveness. There's simply no more. And it emits Nothing. It's a terrible price to pay for harboring a grudge or being bitter because the only person bitterness hurts is the one who holds it in. Peter says, how often should I forgive? Seven times? Because the Jews said three times. Jesus said, no. Not even 77 times or 70 times 7. When you get to 490, you don't just stop. As many times as God forgives you, which a computer cannot even calculate, my friend, you should go out and forgive others because there's no end to this practice called forgiveness. The more we do it, the more we want to do it because God has been doing it for us for Jesus' sake. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. It applies to us all. If you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart, you and I are in the driver's seat here. If you're the offended person, you have the power to make two people miserable or two people happy. You can make two people miserable by not forgiving. You can make two people happy by doing so. God doesn't take his forgiveness away if we're unforgiving. 
The person who's unforgiving just doesn't understand forgiveness and will never be able to accept it and believe it and receive it from God. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And so he commands us to forgive because he wants us to be happy. And he knows when we are unforgiving, we can never be happy. It's a prison that he would free us from if we'll receive it from him and offer it to others. Let's bow together. Father, all of us here this morning have done wrong and have been wronged by others. There's no perfect relationship. So every friendship, every marriage, every, every relationship of any kind, there'll be mistakes and forgiveness is required because of all that you've forgiven us. You have given us a mountain of grace. How can we not offer a molehill of grace to those who've wronged us? So Father, bring to mind those whom we have wronged and need to ask forgiveness and those who have wronged us and we need to forgive because that weight of unforgiveness is just too heavy to bear and it will eventually take its toll and wear us down and shrink our hearts so that we can no longer receive forgiveness or give it to anyone. Thank you for what you have initiated and giving us grace. Help us now extend it toward others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.